Hello and welcome to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. Thank you all for the lovely comments that I've received in regards to my last series on post-traumatic stress disorder. It's really encouraging to read such great responses, especially because of how much work I actually do put into it behind the scenes. I was a bit unsure about what true crime I was going to cover this week. I would like to cover a serial killer, but I'm trying to find a way to cover the crimes with having the victims still central. And it's quite hard with a lot of serial killers because their name is the one that is most known and not really the victim's name. I'll cover one of the serial killers, which I have actually done quite a lot of research on in my time, but I think that's going to come after my next in-depth series, which I've decided upon and I'm going to be covering schizophrenia. This week, I'm going to cover the case of Sean Ouellette, which I watched a documentary on and the interview was mainly with his mother. I felt that this kind of documentary was well done as it focused mainly on Sean and what he was like as a person and only really touched on his killer slightly towards the end of the episode. For myself, I feel I have been able to empathize with victims of crimes for quite a number of years. But since becoming a mother, something has become far more poignant whenever anything happens to a child. I imagine how I would feel in this mother's situation. And honestly, I think it would kill me or just bring me to the brink of it. People who are grieving or experience this sort of trauma have such amazing strength. I know eventually they resent hearing that because they shouldn't have to be strong. They should never have had to experience this sort of trauma. So to these victims, I'm sorry that you have had to bear that burden. This murder of Sean was also covered in a Law and Order episode. And honestly, they did it justice. The one thing that I've always respected about Law and Order is the fact that they don't gloss over the hard parts of a crime. It may be slightly glamorized, but they always show the disappointments and the wrong in every single part of the case. Even if at the end, justice hasn't really been done. The episode that is very closely related to Sean's case is called Trust and was released in 1992. Just in case you're interested in giving it a watch after listening to this episode. Anyway, let us start the case. In the autumn of 1986, 
Sean Ouellette was the new kid at Canton High in Canton, Massachusetts. The friendly, easygoing 14-year-old freshman had been having trouble making friends in his new school. Hoping to strike up a new friendship, he took the bus after school on November 20th to another 14-year-old's house to buy some fireworks and to hang out. Sean was your typical 14-year-old. According to his mother, Jean, he loved sports, particularly hockey, fishing, baseball, and basketball. And his sister, and he was just a really good-natured, adventurous kid. He became a not-so-typical 14-year-old, however, when he disappeared on November 20th, 1986, the day after a snowstorm hit his town of Canton. His body wasn't discovered until three weeks after his disappearance and was found in a wooded area. He'd been beaten to death with a baseball bat. A classmate, Rod Matthews, was convicted of the crime. He was also just 14 at the time. During the three-week search for Sean, Matthews apparently brought friends to view the body twice and then threatened them with bodily harm if they told anyone. But in December, one of those friends couldn't stay silent anymore and sent an anonymous letter to the police. On December 13th, 1986, Rod Matthews was arrested and arraigned, and in July 1987, he was convicted of second-degree murder as an adult and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Matthews was one of the first juveniles to receive a life sentence in the state of Massachusetts. Sean and Rod attended the same school, Canton High School, and according to two of their classmates, Matthew had wanted to know what it was like to kill someone, and intentionally chose Sean because he felt Sean didn't have many friends and would probably be the least missed. Sean and his family had just moved to Canton the year before. And according to his mother, he had struggled to make friends. So when Rod, who was considered part of the in crowd, invited Sean over to his house, Sean jumped at the chance. I moved round into different schools during my youth and I know that if this was me, I probably would have jumped at the chance too. On the day of the murder, Rod invited Sean to his house and then suggested that they go into the woods to build a fort. It was there that Rod struck Sean in the head with a baseball bat so hard that he crushed Sean's skull. She, sorry, I found this very, very upsetting to think of two teenagers doing that to each other. Sean's mother said that she'll never stop being Sean's voice, even if she's on life support and hooked up onto a tube.
and she still has nightmares about her son's murder. Even to this day, the town of Canton continues to remember and honour Sean. Nearly 26 years after her only son was bludgeoned to death, Jean Quinn still can't escape the nightmares that haunt her in her sleep. Lately, Jean has been tormented by this one particular dream, where she is present while Rod Matthews, who was 14 at the time of the murder, batters her unsuspecting son, Sean, with a baseball bat while he cries out for help. I run to help him, and I keep trying to grab the bat out of Matthew's hands, she said, but he keeps swinging, and I can't get the bat, and I don't understand why. And then suddenly I look down at my hands, and I don't have any hands. For Jean, dreams such as this one only begin to describe the anguish she has felt every day since the autumn of 1986. When authorities discovered her son's lifeless body in a wooded area of Canton after a 21-day search. Sean, as investigators would learn later on, had been lured to that spot and was struck eight times in all by the baseball bat. It's details like the last few that continue to gnaw at Sean's mother more than two and a half decades later. And it's a big part of the reason why in 2016, she traveled to Nantic armed with hundreds of signatures and a bevy of supporters to urge a seven member state parole board to keep Rod behind bars for the foreseeable future. Sean's mother, who had been through the process twice before, once in 2001 and again in 2007, has not prepared any remarks, nor does she intend to this time. However, chances are she will talk about the tremendous pain and suffering that Matthews had caught her family, and how her daughter fled the area, in part out of fear of Matthews being released, and how she buries her son every morning when she wakes up. Now that we know he has killed someone, said Jean, I'm myself, I'm on a personal crusade to keep him locked up, and keep everyone else safe. In 2007, the last time that Matthews was up for parole, he showed visible emotion and insisted that years of therapy had rid him of his violent urges, which he attributed not only to his original insanity defense, but to his parents' marital problems. Northern Eastern University criminologist James Fox also testified on Matthew's behalf 
claiming he was a different person and that his brain has physically changed from when he was a teenager. The board, however, rejected Matthew's bid by a vote of five to one, as the majority concluded that he did not have a clear grasp of why he committed the murder. He is evil. He's not mentally ill. Sean's mother, Jean, said of Matthews. He's smart as a whip. He tried to dismiss it, saying he did it as a child and he's different now. Jean said she intends to be similarly direct when she testifies before the board. And although she wasn't looking forward to the experience and claims to derive no satisfaction from watching Matthew suffer, it's not Matthew's demise that would straighten things up, she said. It would be Sean coming back. That would be my one wish if I could turn back the hands of time. And while she remains determined to keep Matthews in prison at all cost, Jean also acknowledges that she feels so different at this third parole hearing. I'm tired of hating, she said. My parents didn't bring any of us up to hate people. The hate just welled up and leaked me like cancer and it alienated me from my family and my friends. I haven't been able to hold a job down it's just, hate doesn't serve anything. She also admitted that for years after the murder, she simply couldn't understand why everyone wasn't grieving as much as she was. She became angry and resentful toward a town that she felt had turned its back on her in her greatest time of need. I lost friends. I became the invisible neighbor, she said. I couldn't handle it, how some people are ignorant in the way that they handle grief. But I understand it now, that it's not whether they were wrong or were they right. It's where they're at. Even after all these years, Jean still harbors feelings of anger and hatred but she said that she's working at it and would much prefer to focus her energy on remembering Sean, an adventurous and happy kid who reminded her of Ope from the Andy Griffiths show. He was so handy, Jean says of her son. He was the one who took care of his sister, Yvonne's wheelchair. That thing was a well-oiled machine, let me tell you the two of them flying down Randolph Street. He loved the woods. He loved fishing, hockey, baseball, basketball. He just loved sports. He loved to build forts and he loved his sister. And yet for all his good qualities, Jean said he struggled to make friends when they moved to Canton in 1985. So he was pretty thrilled when Matthews invited him over to play pool and build a fort especially since Matthews was part of the in-crowd among the freshman class. Sean, of course, had no reason to suspect that he was actually a target of Matthews. He remained oblivious until the bat struck the back of his head, 
at which point he cried out according to testimony, God help me. As mentioned above, at his parole hearing in 2007, Matthews reportedly expressed remorse for his actions and claimed that he could never forgive himself for what he had done. However, Jean said he has never once asked for her forgiveness and never once directed her personally and said that he's sorry. Jean, for her part, did not say whether she would grant him any kind of forgiveness, although she stressed that there's a big difference between forgive and forget, and she will never forget what he has done. As for the parole hearing in 2016, Jean said that her biggest fear was that the board will extend the sentence for just one year and she'll have to endure the process all over again in 12 months' time. Then again, she swears that she would go back as many times as it takes to ensure that he remains behind bars. Regardless of what happens with Matthews in the future, Jean doesn't see herself getting any real closure. The only way would be if Sean came back, she said. I know how that sounds, but that's the only way. Trust me, there's no manual to this, she added. Any parent of a murdered child can tell you. There's no roadmap. There's nothing. You just go as you go. In that first half of the episode, I really wanted to focus on Sean and Sean's mother's experience in surrounding the senseless murder of Sean. In the second part of the episode, I am going to focus a little bit on Rod Matthews, um, mainly going to go through a bit of what went on in court and then what went on in the parole hearing 2016. The prosecutor, Assistant District Attorney Peter Casey, said that Mr Matthews coldly killed his victim with a baseball bat, then calmly lied to the police about his victim's whereabouts. He was deliberate in the plan and put it into effect efficiently and effectively, said Mr Casey. The defence attorney, John Philip White, painted another picture, describing the youth as a mentally ill child from a troubled home who used the prescribed stimulant Ritalin and this contributed to his murderous actions. In this case, the insidious element of mental illness with an overlying thread of Ritalin, Mr White told the jury. Under cross-examination today by Mr White, a 16-year-old witness, Jonathan Cash, said Mr Matthews was known for his volatile behaviour and was fascinated by fire. Mr Cash, in his second day on the stand, also testified that in December of 1986, he sent an anonymous letter to the police about Mr Ouellette's body after going to see the body by himself late at night and then having trouble sleeping for several nights. According to the prosecutor and testimony 
by Mr. Peterson and Mr. Cash. The defendant began talking about killing someone around the end of October 1986. They said he eventually decided to lure a victim into a wooded area and beat him with a baseball bat. Mr. Peterson told how Mr. Matthews named several potential victims before settling on Mr. Ouellette, a high school freshman who had moved to the Dedham area within the south of Boston a year earlier. He said that he would be the least missed and that he didn't have many friends, Mr. Peterson testified. He testified that he had warned other potential victims not to go to Mr. Matthews' home. Mr. Peterson said the only thing he had told Mr. Ouellette on the day he died was that Mr. Ouellette should have Mr. Matthews bring the fireworks to school. Mr. Peterson said that he knew Mr. Matthews was planning to lure Mr. Ouellette into the woods with a promise of fireworks. After school that day, Mr. Peterson said that he saw Mr. Matthews walking down the street with a baseball bat. And Mr. Peterson said that he had asked Mr. Matthews if he'd killed Mr. Ouellette, and the defendant had hesitated before admitting to the killing. The talk of murder was interrupted for a snowball fight with a neighbour. He said Mr. Matthews then agreed to take him to the murder scene. The witness testified that Mr. Matthews explained how he had walked in Mr. Ouellette's footsteps in the snow, then clubbed him in the head with a bat as Mr. Ouellette set off bottle rockets. He said that Sean fell down and said, help me, and Rod hit him again. Mr. Peterson testified. He said Mr. Matthews told him how he had cleansed the body and also the bloody bat in the snow. Under cross-examination, Peterson said he would have gone for help if he thought that Mr. Ouellette was still alive. Mr. Peterson testified that a week later, he and Mr. Cash viewed the body again with Mr. Matthews after a school pep rally. As the three rode their bicycles from the murder site to the mall, Mr. Matthews warned his friend not to talk. Rod said not to say anything, Mr. Peterson said. He said, it could happen to us. He said, you'll never know. In 2016, for the third time, teen killer Rod Matthews was denied his freedom by the Massachusetts Parole Board, which ruled he must remain behind bars for another five years before he can ask again for a release from the state prison. Matthews was 14 years old on November 20th, 1986, when he convinced Sean to follow him to the wooded area. Matthews was 15 when he was convicted of the second-degree murder as an adult and given a life sentence. The now bald Matthews appeared before the board for the third time, and he apologised for murdering Sean and asked for his freedom, a request opposed by Jean. She told the board that she forgives him, but believes he is still prone to violence. In the five-page decision, made by the board. The board unanimously concluded Matthews should remain in prison for at least another five years. 
The board is of the opinion that Mr. Matthews has not demonstrated the level of rehabilitative progress that would make his release compatible with the welfare of society, the panel wrote. The board believes that a longer period of positive institutional adjustment and programming would be beneficial to Mr. Matthews' rehabilitation. Canton Police Chief Kenneth Bakowitz also opposed Matthews' release before the board in an opinion piece published in The Globe in April, in which he argued Matthews as a predatory, diabolical tendencies as well as psychopathic traits. In a statement, Berkowitz said, Rod's actions continue to victimise Sean's family. Every time he goes for parole, he reopens the wounds that his heinous act has caused so many people. In my opinion, he is where he belongs, prison. The risk that he will reoffend is too great to take that chance on letting him out. But James Allen Fox, the Lippmann Family Professor of Criminology, Law and Public Policy at the Northeastern University, lamented the board's rejection. Fox knows Matthews and testified in his favour of his release and argued for his release in his own piece. I'm disappointed but not surprised. He's clearly not the same person he was 30 years ago, Fox said in a telephone interview. He has changed dramatically and unfortunately that's not being given enough weight. As opposed to the severity of the crime, the public response and the family's response. He said parole should be based on the crime itself and on what the inmate has done since committing it. In Matthew's case, he said the change he has undergone is not being properly recognised. While acknowledging that Sean's mother is an articulate voice for her murdered son and has every right to oppose Matthew's release, Fox said that the board must also give significant value to what he has done to rehabilitate himself. He also said that because the crime was high profile, so too are parole hearings, a factor that works against Matthews because it has a chilling effect on the board. In a statement, Norfolk District Attorney Michael Morrissey, who inherited the case and opposed Matthews' release, said that the board acted wisely. Release on parole is granted only when it is compatible with the welfare of the society, Morrissey said. That is not the case with Ron Matthews in 2016, and it remains to be seen if it ever will be. So I suppose you've all guessed why I've actually also come up with this case, because Ron Matthews will actually be coming up for a parole hearing again this year since... It's five years since 2016. I personally believe that I understand that you can see if someone has changed and been rehabilitated. And I understand he was a child at the time. There must be something that the board isn't seeing for them not to release him. Uh, obviously, there's something that hasn't been released to the media. I 
understand from Sean's mother's point of view. Like she must feel that she never wants him to see the light of day again because her son can't. I understand it from that point of view. And I also understand it from Professor Fox's point of view that he is a different person from 30 years ago and he has been rehabilitated in certain ways. But I have to agree with, I think it was the district attorney and also uh, the police chief, Berkowitz, in the way that he's still victimizing Sean's family. He's not apologized to his mother. He doesn't really look at her. Maybe that's a shame thing, but I also think if you truly are sorry, he should be addressing her. He should be taking the blame. He shouldn't be still blaming it on Ritalin, on this, on that. He should be personally taking that. And I think that's the only real way that I can see his rehabilitation being a genuine one. Um, obviously, with COVID-19 going around, there hasn't been a date set yet in 2021. But hopefully, it can keep our ears out for it. The other reason why I wanted to cover this case is because there was a lot about the victim. And I believe that Sean's mother has been the key driver in this. As she said that she will be there for every hearing, even if she's hooked up to an IV and I can tell you if that was my child I would do exactly the same because she is fighting for him she is essentially fighting for two lives her own and her son's still I also thought it was a good case to see a juvenile and someone who they've still got um, in the prison system and denying parole even though it has been 30 years and obviously they are a different person to who they were 30 years ago but the reasoning behind why they may be denying parole and why people still go to parole hearings I suppose that links back to my series on parole I just thought this was a brilliant case and to be honest, ever since I saw the documentary of Sean's mother, it just stuck in my mind. It must be nearly a year since I've watched it and I can still see her and I can still feel the feelings that she felt. And when I looked up to see if there was any other podcasts or anything about this, I couldn't actually find any. And that's something that I, I don't know, I think is good in a way because you're, people aren't giving the props to Rod Matthews. But also, this one is in memory of Sean. Because he was just a normal 14-year-old.
He deserved to be living his life. My sources this week were an article in the Boston Globe, also an article in the New York Times. Um, I also read an article in the Canton Citizen, which is the local town's um, newspaper, which was released in 2012. And, um, yeah, it was really interesting to research this and it was refreshing to see so much actually come up on Sean and his mother really interesting to see because it's not often that that actually happens you often have to dig quite deeply to find um, victims profiles or even anything about the victim Next week, uh, I'm planning on covering uh, a little bit of a lighter subject. So I was going to do about the history and the myth of werewolves, just to sort of mix it up a bit um, in June. As I have mentioned already, I am going through a little bit of a heavy study period time. So thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. If you have any cases or anything, any subjects that you'd like me to cover, then please shoot me an email at macabreformortals at gmail.com or alternatively, just send me a DM on Instagram at macabreformortals. Thank you again for all the lovely responses that I've had um, surrounding all the series that I have been putting out. And thank you again for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I know myself when I go to listen to a podcast I don't do it half-heartedly I do actually pick my podcast quite thoroughly so thank you again I hope you all have a fantastic week and please stay safe wherever you are in the world bye now